I cannot believe we are at the end of summer, or at least it feels that way. I think I've had a summer. I know I coached many, many 12-year-old travel baseball games from here all the way to Cooperstown, New York. I watched many volleyball matches from my daughter's club team. I think we had a family getaway somewhere in there. I just honestly can't remember much of it. It's like I'm suffering from some summer time warp or summer amnesia. Maybe you can relate. But Labor Day is next weekend, and we will pull out the snowblowers and get them tuned up, ready for the season to come. And you are thinking, this is the worst start to a sermon I have heard this entire (laughs) summer. Over the years, I have had just some valuable partners for my own journey of life and faith. Some of these have been groups of couples, Some of them have been groups of men or discipleship groups. Some of them are scattered in here even as we speak. Look to your right and your left. You may never know. It could be one of those guys. Some have been individuals who have challenged me or even mentored me or given me some direction for life. And at Christ Church, our Grow Ministry, this is the foundation and our heart that we would want all of you who call Christ Church home, or even those that are just joining the journey with us, to find a circle, to find a place where you can be connected with other partners so that you can grow. And that just maybe God can use you to encourage and serve and love and help other people grow as well. One of my current partners is Doug. Doug is a devout man of God, and he carries himself with confidence and conviction. We've been in groups together, and now Doug and I meet periodically for lunches where we check in with one another and encourage one another and challenge and support each other as men, as fathers, as husbands, as leaders. We ask the hard questions and we pray for one another. Doug and his family are a great gift to me and my family. This past spring, Doug and I had lunch, and you'll notice just about all of my stories involve either food or sports. This one involves food. But uh, we had lunch, and he mentioned that he was reading A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God now for the fifth time, and it was challenging him like never before in his own faith journey. So I bought a copy, and being the competitive guy I am, I also bought the prequel God's Pursuit of Man, and read both of them over the now-gone summer months. And during those, that reading, some very noticeable and challenging messages, even critiques of my life, came. A.W. Tozer, as some of you may know, pastored for decades in Chicago. He died in 1963, but he was a powerful man that challenged the church and challenged culture. Tozer had a deep burden and belief that people needed to realize not just the possibility but the necessity of a deeper relationship with God. In God's pursuit of man, in chapter 2, he references one verse, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. And when I read that, it just struck me like a lightning bolt. It led me to look more intently at this church in Thessalonica and to kind of study that passage It took me on a great journey because I knew God had something to teach me. And so today I want to bring you into that journey. And I'm going to ask you questions personally, but also as a church 
the same questions that I wrestled with over the summer. So let me invite you, if you would, to open up your Bibles. And if you, don't, if you did not bring one, and by the way, I kind of joke about this, but this is the one place you're allowed to bring your Bible. Bring it. But we have new Pew Bibles that you can pull out. The Pew Bibles, that's page 1,834. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians. And why don't we stand as we read the Word of God? Follow along with me as I read. Because I want you to hear, see, and hold the Word of God this morning. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Notice the partners that Paul has for his journey, what he models for us. To the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. A huge theme in the life of God's people. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. We know how you lived. You know how we lived among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out to you from not only Macedonia and Achaia, that's Greece, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So enter, please have a seat. Please enter in with me into this text and I will share with you the burden God laid on my heart. Paul is addressing the church in Thessalonica. Not a few super Christians, but the church. The church are all the followers of Jesus, which means the church is global, but the church is also local to those that gather in a particular place and time and context. And the church is God's A plan for his mission and his intentions for this world that he loves. And the promise started with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. That God would bless all people, all nations, through a people that he would raise up. And now in the New Testament, we see that people expanding now to include the Gentiles, Jew and Gentile, now one in Christ with a mission to expand, to proclaim the good news, to gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ and expand the rule of the kingdom of God by the power of the Spirit, which throughout the Old Testament, the prophets were waiting to be poured out. And we find it poured out in Acts chapter 2. This is the church and the services and the programs and the buildings and all that we have are but mere tools for the reality of the church. We are the church. And what we do and who we are and how we do it carries great consequences as God's A plan. I love how Paul describes this church 
in Thessalonica. In verse 3, it says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your love prompted by, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You may quickly realize the triad of words, faith, hope, and love, or in this case, faith, love, and hope. These words, this triad appears all throughout Paul's writings, most famously perhaps in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, as we describe it. But Paul is naming the fruit in this church, a manifestation of some deeper reality of what is going on. And he says this fruit is characterized by a working faith, a faith that is energetic, that is active, that is living, that is sacrificing, that is producing good works. In fact, the book of James, if you were to flip a few books later in the New Testament, you would find James saying that this is what saving faith looks like. And if faith is not working, if it's not producing the fruit of good works, then James would say perhaps that's no faith at all. The Thessalonians had a laboring love. Love moves towards God and moves towards others. It's the litmus test for the reality of the Spirit among God's people, how we love one another. The Apostle John would say, if you do not know how to love one another, to be reconciled, to be at peace with one another, then you cannot love God. I wish that verse was not in the Bible. But think about it. Jew and Gentile, polar opposites, fundamentally opposed. The Jews would have called them pagans, far from God are now brought together at the same table. Communion, fellowship in the church as one. They had to labor at their love. And they had this enduring hope, hope and perseverance that provides the characteristic of the consistency of faith, both in the good times, but especially in the hard times. Hope calls us forward in victory and confidence that this world is not all that there is, that there is a coming day when all will be restored and that all that God intends will come true as it was in the beginning. This fueled Christ for the joy set before him endured the cross. He had the glory in his mind and so we too need to be fueled with that same type of persevering hope. In my soul, in my life, I hope that it exhibits this kind of fruit. And for the church that I'm connected to, to us, I pray that we bear this kind of fruit. Fruit that is active and sacrificing and a prevailing witness to a culture that honestly works against the things of God. An honest question for me that I ask myself, I extend to you, is that would the people that know us best Would this list of characteristics, the faith, hope, and love, would that be the first thing that comes to their mind when they think of us? As I said, this only reveals the fruit of a deeper reality. In verse 5 that we just read, the reality of what was fueling, what was behind this congregation comes out. Paul says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power of the Holy Spirit, And deep conviction. The gospel. That is a very important word to the apostle Paul. The gospel is used 67 times in the New Testament. 60 of those are by Paul. 
and the good news, the gospel that Paul proclaimed, or you can literally say the gospel he gospeled, is perhaps maybe a little different than how we've packaged it today. Be it the Romans road, be it the four spiritual laws, be it the bridge illustration or any of the other gospel tracts. Not that those are bad, but I wonder if we've boiled it down so much that we've maybe missed the bigger story of what Paul and the other writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself proclaimed. Because you see, the gospel is more than just being saved from your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. It's true. But perhaps it's not true enough. Remember, 1 Thessalonians is probably the first book written of the New Testament. It was certainly Paul's first letters, but this was written even before the Gospels were written. So what Paul was gospeling was what he received from the apostles and what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, that he passes on as first importance for his ministry. This consumed Paul. And it was simply this. The gospel to him was the story of Jesus fulfilling the story of Israel in himself. It was his life, his death, his resurrection, and the hope of him returning one day that the whole Old Testament foreshadows and leans and looks towards. Jesus becomes the Passover lamb. Jesus becomes the bread of life. And you read the Gospels, you can see all of these instances where Jesus completes the story. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I've come to complete it, he says in Matthew 5. So, in this story, there was salvation, but it was more than that. In this story, it defined the people of God, and it made them new, and it gave them a mission and a purpose. As we said earlier, as God's A plan, a great commission and a great command to be followed. And so while we may have our traditions and backgrounds and even methods of what it means when we say the gospel What I want you to hear in the New Testament, meaning Paul, meaning the gospel writers, meaning Jesus, that the gospel was and is about Jesus and the new life personally for the individual, but collectively for the church that is found in him and through him. It was a fundamental change of identity and purpose, and it changed everything. It wasn't an upgrade. It wasn't a tweak in life. It wasn't providing that last little piece that completes the picture. It was something wholly and utterly new that came with power, that transformed life at the deepest of levels. So when you hear gospel, think of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and the life and the mission found in him. For some of you, you need to bring that story into your life. That maybe you've been seeking it, pursuing it, exploring it, but it's not a reality. I pray that today it would be a reality in your life, that you would surrender to this great story and find this new life. And for many of us, we need a fresh reminder of the power of who we are as a new creation in Christ. Paul says, our gospel came to you not simply with words, What does Paul mean by not simply with words? Remember, this is Greek culture, right? We're in Greece, and the philosophers of the day and the orators, like they would gather followings. People, Paul would say, you know, they gathered the people want to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Even in the church, there was some divisions. You know, in Corinth, we see some were following Paul, some were following Apollos, right? They have their favorite speakers, the words. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in in our affections and expectations 
that we miss the very power of what the word intends to impact the heart and the soul. But I think words can be expanded beyond just the speech, but to the whole word environment. What we see, what we hear, what we experience as the church together. Words can include what we make of the church and how we do church, although I hate that kind of language because it makes the church a thing when the reality is we are the church. Do we settle or desire or even expect cozy spaces, being pleased by excellent services or messages, of which you get a break from today? (laughs) But to be satisfied with our traditions and miss, to be disconnected from the very reason of why we gather together in the first place. This may be tough words, and maybe it doesn't apply to many of us. But in a consumeristic, in a satisfy-me world, those are the waters we swim in. And if we were brutally honest, we would probably say there's, at times, we need to repent. Because sometimes we embrace all of this more than the power of the Word and the Spirit at work among us. Again, this may not be totally us, but I'm watching the church in America and Europe, and it is being rendered powerless. And the deep work of the Spirit and the transformation is not always happening in the congregations and certainly not in the communities where these churches exist, and it breaks my heart. But I pray that we would be a church that models for others a hunger and a thirst for God, for His Word, for the Spirit in our lives, and that it would change us deeply, personally, and in our families, and as a church gathered together. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Adele Calhoun taught me that the journey to transformation always begins with desire. What is it you most desire? I think this church in Thessalonica desired God and life together. And I confess to you that why this has challenged me so much is that the power of the Word and Spirit is not as alive or maybe as powerful as it often should be. When I ask myself why it is, it's never a problem with the Word and it's never a problem with the Spirit. The problem is usually, not usually, it's always me. Right? It's my habits or it's my, my attitudes or my desires or the lack of focus on God, like Peter who steps out of that boat and has God doing something incredible in his life, fixing his eyes on Jesus, all of a sudden begins to sink. Why? Because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He gets distracted. He sees the waves. And all of a sudden he finds himself in a place he shouldn't be. I confess that. But can we say that the word of God, even among us, in your life and among us, is it producing that working faith, that laboring love, that enduring hope, persevering hope? Is it ringing out across the western suburbs, across Chicago, across the Midwest? Maybe it is. But maybe we need a deeper conviction and experience of his word and power in our life. I have a few ideas of maybe what limits the power, but I want you to think for yourself. Have your own sight for the pathway as you examine even your own life and then broaden it to our church. 
Say, are we limiting ourselves in some way from the deep work, the deep transforming work as Tozer would call us to by something in us? Is it doubt? Sometimes we just don't believe the things of God or we're not willing to put the full weight of our trust in his word and in the life of the spirit. Maybe it's our intellectual pride. We love being stimulated mentally, but there's a big distance from here to here. Right? Is the word being received with power? Is it getting into us in a life-changing way? Maybe we have unhealthy habits. How we live impacts our faith journey. And sometimes we get so compartmentalized, we think, well, I can do the church thing and yet have a mess over here. We're, we're integrated. So we desire people to live healthy and whole lives. Maybe it's just fear. Fear of the the Holy Spirit, the supernatural, like what would happen if the Spirit actually came alive in me? Would it, that seems a little out of my control. I don't know if I want to sign up for an experience. Maybe it's unconfessed sin. I would suspect we all have things we hold on to, patterns or strongholds in our life that for some reason we just don't quite want to let go of. And so we quench the spirit at times because we just will not surrender that last little bit to God. Or it's that unyielded or unsurrendered spirit. Perhaps we are just so driven down our lane that we have our plans and we know how we want to invest our time and our finances. We've scripted it all out and to have God come into that place might interrupt us in some ways that maybe we Say we want, but deep down we don't. We are unsurrendered. We could go on and list more things. What is it for you, if anything? Some of you may say the power of God is working incredibly in my life. I say, praise God, keep going. But for some, if you're like me, also find that, you know what, there's more that I'm limiting myself for what God wants to do. God wants us to give us this full, this abundant overflowing life as his children if we will surrender and embrace it. He is waiting to fill us up more and more. Someone once said, you can't be filled with God if you're full of yourself. My wife says sometimes I'm a little too full of myself, not God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says, there is a season there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the sun. We are at a changing of seasons. Summer will become fall. 50 years we are celebrating this year. And we set our sights on what is God calling us to. We have a purpose in our time and place. What is that the next and the years to come that we will be faithful to God's mission here? We have a new season ahead of us. In life, we are in different seasons as families grow, as physically we enter into different stages. There's new seasons. The question is, how will we intentionally gauge our journey with God and others in the days ahead? In our worship, will we move past our own satisfactions and expectations and come with a hunger and a thirst to glorify God and love one another as a first priority? In our growth, will we commit to an intentional journey to really understand where am I? Are there any limitations? To have that kind of sight for the pathway and then put a practice in our life that helps us connect with God. 
Will we seek to grow in those areas of life, those growth edges, where we could live life more healthy and whole emotionally or in our area of finances or whatever other bucket, parenting other buckets of life? And will we do it with others? The Paul, the Silas, the Timothys, the Dougs, the groups. Will you enter in with others and share the journey and watch God using you to help transform their life as well? In our service, will we see a revolution of volunteerism and servanthood unleashed as the amazing, amazing gifts of this congregation just catch fire and are invested into kids and students and groups and missions that at the end of the day, John will have every mission dinner filled up and his heart will leap for joy. Will we see that unleashed? Will we commit to give God the very best and the first of our time and our talent and our treasures, even to the point of sacrifice that we see modeled in churches all over the world? All around us, there is a sound. Around me and us collectively, there's a sound. Is it quiet? Or is something ringing out? across the western suburbs, across Chicago, and far beyond? Are we that amazing witness to the life-changing love of Christ? Maybe this is the letter written to us, to Christ Church in Oak Brook. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And so you became a model to all the believers. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in the suburbs of Chicago, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for calling us to be your church. That, God, you have given us a new identity. That you have given us a purpose and a mission bigger than ourselves. But, God, it unites us. It pulls us together in a life-changing way. God, may your word and your gospel come to us with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. God, may this congregation... May our lives ring out to a world who desperately needs your love. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.